This is Cameron Johnson, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 114 for November 10th, 2020. Well, today I have the pleasure of bringing you an interview with Cameron Johnson, who wrote for Zoe Ever, Ever After as well as Empire, and he's done a number of development projects that he's sold, and uh, you're going to love hearing about um, the way he, he found his voice and what that did for his career. Um, before we get to that, I just wanted to mention again that if you know any writers who would be great for interviews, please hit me up on Twitter, send an email, mail at tvwriterpodcast.com, make a connection. Uh, I would love to find a lot more writers to interview, especially now that everybody's getting busy. There's actually a new way that you can support the podcast. Of course, everyone knows that if you want to be a television or feature film writer, at some point you're going to need to buy final draft screenwriting software. Well, all you have to do is go to tinyurl.com slash buyfinaldraft and proceed to buy final draft software, and a portion of that purchase will go to support the podcast. You can also go to tvwriterpodcast.com slash support and follow the link for Final Draft there. There's also links for audiobooks and print books, and there may be others that come uh, along the way. So make sure you check back to tvwriterpodcast.com slash support, buy a little holiday gift for yourself, and a bit of it will go to support the podcast. Also, I did want to mention, watch my Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. Um, there's going to be a contest coming up for the holidays, and you could have a chance to win some cool prizes. Um, one of the ways that you are able to win is just by submitting questions for the podcast. There may be other things. I'm just developing it in the next week or so, and uh, you'll hear about that soon. But now, on to my interview with Cameron Johnson. Enjoy. Well, I'm here with Cameron Johnson, writer for Empire, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff that we're going to talk about later. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm good. How are you? Really, really well, thanks. I mean, this is a, a crazy that. time. We're recording this the day after the election. Um, wow. <laughs> what yeah. a crazy day. Oof. Better than the day after the, after the last election, though. I will give you that. That was a hard day for me, but I am here. We're alive. We're enjoying ourselves. We're doing good. Hoping for them to call Nevada and Arizona so that this mm -hmm. can be over. Yeah, hopefully this will be a pleasant history by the time people watch this, but uh, fingers crossed. Double. Okay, yeah. we're here. Cool. So so let's uh, let's talk about your origins. You grew up in the Bay Area, and at the time you didn't want to be a writer, you were studying, uh, getting ready to study poli side. Tell me about that. So I grew up in my, uh, I'm from Oakland, so mm -hmm. uh, very near San Francisco. My dad is a fancy lawyer, and I am the third generation rejector of the family business call. <laughs> uh, my dad's, my grandfather was a janitor, and he built a janitorial services company in the Bay Area. It was sort of a big thing, to, about, which he did out of racism. He was a, mm -hmm. a black man trying to get over, and he was told he wouldn't get promoted, and so he said, fuck y'all, I'll do I'll make my own company. He had a, barely had a high school education, and he did that, and then my dad was like, "I, you know, that's really great, and I love that journey for you, Dad, but I don't want to be a janitor. And so he decided not to do that, and he decided he was like, I'm going to be Perry Mason. I'm going to be a lawyer. And so he's like wow. a big tech lawyer in the Bay Area. Um, he's worked with, like, Apple and stuff like that. And then I was like, yeah, Dad, I don't really want to do that. I'd like to make shit up for a living. So um, I am the third generation rejecter of the uh, easy of the straightforward life that was set in front of me. Wow. Um, 
However, so the reason why I have a degree in political science is because when I went to college, I told my dad that I was going to be a lawyer. Mm. Uh, and lawyers have degrees in political science. But secretly, I took uh, a bunch of screenwriting classes because I went to USC and I had mm. been my first semester. I was taking I started taking extra classes every semester. And I was like I and one of them was a screenwriting class. And literally at the end of that first screenwriting class, I knew that that's what I wanted to do with my life. I was wow. like, I want to be a writer. And so I got the political science degree because it's also just important to know shit outside of what outside of how to write, like getting mm. an education is an important part of honing a perspective and building a point of view, which may is part of what makes you a good writer. But I was um, that wasn't what I, I so I guess that's what I was doing. But I was also just like secretly getting this education in screenwriting so that uh, my parents would still pay for it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which at USC is kind of important. It was a big deal. It was a yeah. big thing. Yeah, no, no, no. That was um, that was an important piece of the USC education is getting your parents to pay for it. Yeah, very cool. So, so you finished with poli sci degree, but you were writing and loving it. Um, tell me about sort of the time in between then and your first gig. What what was your writing habit? Um, what, what did you do? Ten years of your life, like well, um, uh, I well, I mean, I finished school. I graduated in two thousand seven, which, if you are familiar with like Hollywood at all, it was the middle of the writers' strike. And mm. so there were hiring freezes at all of the entry level jobs, all of the agencies, all of the really everything. And there were no TV shows in production. So mm. getting an entry level job was really hard. And mm. so my one of my favorite professors at USC, Jay Moriarty, who wrote for like the Jeffersons and stuff like that, big comedy writer from the 70s and 80s, mm. told me the best piece of advice he ever he gave us was get a shitty job and write so I uh, went out to go get myself a shitty job. I had suspicions that perhaps uh, my parents would sponsor my adventure into screenwriting. Um, mm -hmm. However, those were brutally rebuffed when I was like, hey, I'm going to do this. And they were like, no, you're not. And the next day, like my credit cards were cut off. My gas card was cut off. My health insurance was cut off. My car insurance was cut off. And so I was poor for quite some time. And then I figured out that the other thing that I had been good at was writing was I'm sorry was SAT prep and mm. so I had done some SAT prep in college just to like make extra money to hang out with my friends and I decided I would make that into my full-time job and so basically I wrote before I would go tutor I wrote late at night after our tutoring and I did and I just sort of basically any time that I could figure out to write mm. I wrote because at the end of the day screenwriting is very much a job and yeah. it's not like a i'm gonna light a candle and let the the, the 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 mystics speak to me kind of thing it can be that but it's also i have 20 minutes and before i have to get to this next kid and i'm gonna sit in my laptop on the side of the next to the 101 and mm -hmm. type until i get my work done wow so what were you writing at the time uh i wanted to be ryan murphy it, mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest, I wanted to be Ryan Murphy. I was writing soap opera, hour dramedy kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And none of it was from my point of view. So, and what mm -hmm. I mean by that is like I made, I wrote about a lot of white people. Uh, I wrote a pilot about sports agents. I wrote a pilot about an escort agency. And what would happen is I would go into meetings and I would hand, like for, and because the scripts are fine. I've read mm -hmm. them since, like they're fine. Uh, but I would go into these meetings and people would be like, so you funny black gay man, what does this have to do with <laughs> you? Like yeah. those two connect. And so in my mid twenties, I sort of, I realized I was like, I'm having a, 
if I have to spend the rest of my life like getting white kids into college, I'm gonna lose my mind. And mm. so I decided to start trying to write things that were more personal and more poignant and came from my own point of view. And yeah. that's how we got over. I'm happy to tell you about those things, but yeah. Mm. And well, it, it's funny because you funny that you mentioned that because, um, and I don't want to um, get too far ahead, but uh, a lot of the projects that you're developing are very much from like you you. Okay, I, I'm getting I'm getting too far ahead, but but I can see the life that comes out of your point of view, mm -hmm. and um, and well, so was, so tell me about how you developed that. How how did you make that transition? Well, I mean, there's a for me there was always a fear that if I wrote about black people, nobody would get it, mm. and that if I wrote about black, and because there really wasn't. I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's always been great black content. There's always been our sort of a long history of the black sitcom, and there's always been a long history of uh, you know like black movies like Set It Off or Dead mm. Presidents or you know everything Spike Lee's ever done or all of that. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really know how to. I was like, but I was like, is that can I do that? But like, what's a black drama TV show look like? Like what's a black prestige comedy look like? Like I'm not really cut out for family matters. Like what is, what can I do? Hmm. So the first thing I did was I said, I, I was like, well, I was having a lot of trouble dating. Uh, if you guys, like I was not doing, and I, and I was not, and all of my friends had signed up for okay Cupid and they were making, and they were making moves and getting married and, you know, falling in love and shit. And I was like, I'd like to do some, but not all of those things. Mm. And in looking and in, I went on okay Cupid and I took some new cute photos and maybe I think I went on three dates over the course of a year. Uh, mm. and I was surprised because I was like, it was, it was really, really fucking hard. And at one point the, the, the Lord spoke to me and was like, Cameron, I will bet you money that this is because you're black. And so I asked a white friend of mine who lives in Massachusetts, just a straight white guy, kind of a Corolla DX of a man, nothing exciting, cloth seats, automatic transmission, uh, if I could use some photos of him for an identical profile. So I borrowed his photos. No, seriously. Made an identical profile with like exact same words. I did not send a single message. I just waited for incoming calls. And I got 300 times the responses in one week. Wow. Than I myself in a year. And what that did for me was twofold. Like, and it was weird because some of the responses were came from people who were um, not who came from people who were like, uh, you know, I, I'd, who I'd already messaged with. Who'd like when it was me, it, you know, I'm reasonably attractive. They were like, ah, no, thank you. But when it was, and many of them were black, uh, I, it was a whole thing. Mm. And. So, but when it was this guy, they were like, oh, my God, I'm so in love with you. Like, you seem just like the coolest person ever. So it had like an interesting effect on my self-esteem. But in addition to that, I wrote an article about it and I figured out how to kind of make it go viral. So I got it on Reddit and I got it in some forums. And that article would go viral every year for like five years. Wow. Because it was people writing it because people would feel like they were having an experience that hadn't been described. Mm. And then you would go they'd go to google and be like is okay keep it for white people and up that article would come and so it was and so that was the first sort of hint that like maybe what you should be doing is you know i think i was trying to like start a social experiments blog at that point but what you should be doing is like things that only you can talk about because there is something mm. powerful about your identity or something that you can bring light to that other people might be experiencing but might not want to acknowledge even if that's painful or humiliating. Hmm. And so I did that and then I, um, so that went viral and then I made a 
document i made a web series called uh try this instead which is about how to not piss off your black friends mm-hmm. i don't shoot us don't uh, vote for trump um you know basic stuff like that and uh that went viral that that went pretty viral we were on buzzfeed and upworthy and huffington post and then i made a documentary short called you cute for a black guy which was about very similar stuff to the the is i could keep it for white people that had uh, had been about and that was that had debuted at that debuted at Outfest, and that also went pretty viral. For sort of, and then I, and so it was the combination of those things that taught me, okay, cool. So like, write about you. Mm. And I wrote two pilots. One is called Me in High School, which is literally about me in high school. I take the I took the worst day of my life at the time, which is uh, the day I tried to kill myself, and made it into a really uproarious comedy. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, it worked. It was fun. It was all it's yeah. all about finding the tone. It's all about finding the tone. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote another one called Side Pieces, um, which is about being a side hoe. And um, I know nothing about that. And how dare you suggest that I ever could. But Mm -hmm. I did write a pilot about it. And uh, that was pretty. And that is what got me my first staff job. So the combination of the the YouTube shorts, the web series and side pieces got me my first staff job on Zoe Ever After. Very cool. So so did you have... A manager, agent, did anybody help you through this transition or was this all just just you? Uh, It was a lot of me setting myself on fire. Um, Mm. In your early days, like the reps that you have, especially if you're not, you know, there's some people who are like famous. So like people who are famous on Twitter, people who've got like a following, like your reps can be more helpful there. But if you're just a person who wants to write, your reps are more about sort of an imprimatur of, um, you know, legitimacy. It's mm-hmm. I have a manager and therefore you can read my script. So I did have a manager. I was with um, this woman, Krista Sip, who was a friend and she had worked. Well, she was at Circle. Of Conf- First, she was she was at Circle of Confusion for a time and she was somewhere else before that. Uh, the name is escaping me, but that's OK. And so but that's not how I got the my first job. I got my first job because the side pieces, that pilot was on the blacklist for TV writing. Oh, it was okay. like blacklist staffing book. I mm-hmm. spent the little bit of money to I had started my own tutoring company at that point, so I had my own little a, a little bit of money and I turned and I took that and I signed up for their service and I scored really well and that's how the the producers found me. Hmm. Um the day be- there's a friend of my, my age, my, well, I don't have an agent anymore because of the schism, but like when I had agents, uh, she was a, what, what was a woman named Ashley Holland who was at CAA and she's super wonderful. And now she's at WME and we are, we knew each other socially. Um, mm-hmm. but like she had, she hadn't really read anything yet. And you know, agents can be a little hesitant with that. Mm-hmm. And so I had a, fr- a friend of hers, Tracy Oliver, um, who wrote girls trip. Uh, we knew each other socially as well. And she was like, you know, you should really they're very good friends. And she was, she was like, you know, you should really read Cameron's script. And she did. And she also heard that I was up for this job. And she took me to lunch the day before, uh, the, my staffing meeting. Mm-hmm. She explains to me how to get a staff job and then she is like what to say in the interview, what to do and uh, signed me right then and there and I got it. Wow. Wow. Very cool. So your first day and that was Zoe Ever After? Yes. That was a BET show. It starred Brandy. It was a multi-camera sitcom. It was not something Mm -hmm. I ever imagined myself working on, but Mm -hmm. it was a wonderful experience. So so tell me about being in the room for the first time because you didn't take a lot of people sort of come up the assistant way and they're sort of observing for a few years before they, fi- before they finally get into the room, you were just kind of launched in. So um, tell me about that first experience. Well, the first thing I did was I called, was I had a panic attack 
And then I called all of my sort of friends and mentors who had staffed. And, you know, either these are like, when I say friends and mentors, I mean, like some of these people were like friends of my mom who happened to be TV writers or people who I'd like had like interned for or something. And I was like, what do I do in a room? And they mm-hmm. gave me the tips. They said, OK, so first things first, uh, never pick sides and don't participate in drama. So mm-hmm. you're everybody's friend. You're everybody's ally. Just listen to people. You'll be fine. Number two, take a beat before you like and figure out what the dynamics of the room are and you know who's in charge. Who do we listen to? Who do we not listen to? Uh, and most most importantly, don't shut shit, don't shoot shit down. So, and what that means is in a writer's room, you're basically like free associating with 10 other people all Mm. day. And so if the person who says, if you say, I think the story should, I think the sky should be orange, be the person who said, if you're going to pitch something, pitch a solution. So if you don't think the sky should be orange, don't just say the sky should, no, the sky shouldn't be orange. Say, I think the sky, I like orange. First lie, make them feel good. <laughs> but I feel like blue might work better just because maybe it's more naturalistic or maybe in our environment like that might fit better. I don't know. What do you think? So that's how you pitch a solution instead of pitching the bump. And so mm. they taught me those things. And I mean, my first writing experience was just really wonderful. It was a small room. There were five of us. Mm. Uh, we only did 10 weeks. And the people I got to work with were I worked with Eric Montalfo Bura, who created the show and is now uh, like an, an EP on the Connors. Um, I worked with uh, Sonia Warfield, who had done like Will and Grace and stuff like that. I worked with David and his last name is escaping me. Uh, and that's OK. And uh, another and then the and then another woman, Elaine, something or other, whose name is also escaping me. But she's married to the nerdy dude from. Wow, all of that is going away. Anyway, um, all of that's gone. All of that's gone. Maybe we cut that out, but it was great. So with that said, it was wonderful. They listened to me. I was very much, that was another instance in which I was brought in to, there there was a gay, a black gay character and they were looking for a black gay man who could kind of bring that point of view. And there are a lot of people who might be offended by that. But Mm -hmm. what I decided to do was lean in. And Mm. I don't mean... I like be gayer. I mean, what I meant like was is to say that like, okay, so if I'm hired for a specific voice, then uh, what I can do is I can bring this to life. So right. I went home that first week. I broke what I felt like his uh, storyline for the season should be. And I came in and pitched it and they were like, oh my God. And that's exactly what we did. Wow. I remember. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. And Very remember- cool. So go ahead. No, no. Then I remember the day that they realized that I could pitch for other characters, and mm. that was then, and that went well too. So it was just a, it was a wonderful experience and a really soft place to to start my first staffing experience. That sounds it, because uh, I know not every room is that way. Yes, that's true. Hmm. We're going to take a quick sponsor break right now, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about Empire and also your, all of your awesome development projects. Yes, development sounds fun. DrivingFootage.com provides 4K, 9-angle driving plates for film and television. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots and second-unit photography. Visit DrivingFootage.com for details. AVGearGuy.com provides computer and gear rentals serving the LA area, including laptops with final draft, as low as $9 a day with long booking rates available. They also scan photos, 
documents, video and audio tapes, and film reels to digital so you can easily share with your friends and family. Not only can you scan prints as low as 25 cents, slides and negatives as low as 33 cents, and import videotapes as low as $7.99, mention the name of the TV Writer Podcast and you will get 10% off your order. Visit avgearguide.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. And we're back. And uh, so pretty soon after landing Zoe Ever, Ever After, you sold White People Problems? Was that, was that right around there? It was immediately after. So not immediately. So I finished Zoe and then Zoe wasn't gonna, it really wasn't getting picked up. Like it became clear to me that, okay, so this show isn't getting picked up and I'm probably not gonna get another job. But I mean, and it was hard to get another job off of it because uh, racism and BET credits don't always count. Like, so a BET show, not every studio, not every network looks at that as like a real quote unquote credit, even though they very much real credits, but that's okay. So, and also, I mean, the line I was learning to walk is that, um, is a, is a tonal one. So mm. I'm funny, but like I'm, my, my humor is kind of like aggressive and edgy and dark. And the note that we would get back would, was always like, ah, oh, he's too mean for blackish, but, um, or he's too mean for such and such multicam. And I was like, well, I mean, that's kind of true, but whatever. Mm. Um, uh, and so I had always wanted to do this idea basically that was just American beauty for a rich black family. Um, my family's pretty insane. Uh, we're, 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 we're amusingly dysfunctional. And so, well, not amusingly, uh, we're just dysfunctional. Uh And so I, you know, messy divorce, some mental illness, you know, all that kind of, but a lot of really cute cars, like a lot of Mercedes some Porsches, like it's real fun. So Mm -hmm. with that said, I did a, um, I came up with with like a with like a rough idea for a thing that I called rich horrible black people, and my uh, my agent was like, "The fuck is this? Like, I don't really understand." Like, she she understood it because she is also from like a similar world, mm-hmm. but um, of like sort of Jack and Jill and Black Society. Those are Jack and Jill is a Black Society organization, but um, she wasn't. But she was like, "No one is really going to care about this." Mm-hmm. So one of my best friends, uh, who is a feature writer who had never worked in TV, but he had pitched things before. He sat me. We sat down at Coffee Commissary on Fairfax. And we figured out what a pitch could be. And it was just this little five-minute, five-page document explaining, like, these are who the characters are, and this is the through line, and blah, blah, blah. And I called at my agent's assistant, and I begged for an adi- for just, like, find me ten minutes wherever you can. I'll be available. Mm-hmm. I got on the phone with me. She listened to me pitch the thing, and she was like, okay, I'll set you some meetings. And the first meeting was with Deborah Martin Chase, who mm-hmm. was the uh, one of the producers of Zoe. And we hit it off like gangbusters. She actually knew some of the people who I referenced in the pitch. And she was like, you're going to have to change everybody's name. But uh, <laughs> we took it out and we sold that to Bravo. And that was my – it took a long time. But it was my, that was my first development sale and writing that script – they made me make it an hour because they mm-hmm. were like, we don't, we don't write half, we don't sell, we don't do half hour shows. And in mm-hmm. making me make it an hour, they turned me into a drama writer. Um, and that's how I got my job on Empire. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, but then you also, was that the one that you also ended up retooling for a half hour? That is currently being retooled. I am mm-hmm. currently retooling that for another streaming service. Um, I'm not sure if I can say which, though I may have okay. already. 
Yeah. Uh, but with that said, that was Bravo decided they didn't want to make scripted programming anymore. And so they dropped all of their programming except for the show Dear John, which they later spun off to USA. So that happens to coincide with the completion of my pilot and the execs were still very into it. And here we are. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So talk, talk about um, Empire. So you went from multicam comedy to one yeah. hour drama. Um Talk about that transition. <laughs> well, that was the hard room. Mm. So that was where things got challenging, um, the at least at first. Mm. So the first season, so the first, Zoe was like super easy and like a wonderful dream. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the best job I've ever had. I got the job on, on Empire because I had been offered... Uh, a job on All American on the CW, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let me. Warner Brothers wasn't going to let me keep my developments. They were going to make me like give up white people problems. And Fox was like, "We, I really liked the guy, my boss, Brett Mahoney, and he was like, when we was like, we'll let him keep his development um, if they'll drop to second position, mm-hmm. and they did. And so I was like, all right, cool, I'll go be on Empire. Then I got that job on a Sunday. I started on Tuesday. Oh wow! I had never been in a drama room. I did not understand even just like the comedy and drama are very, very different in terms of the way TV is broken. And mm-hmm. I didn't really understand like what we were doing, what the job was. I had lots of ideas and I was very helpful, but there was this very, very steep learning curve of not only do you, did I not exactly understand, know what was going on, but I also did not understand the hierarchy of an established room. So I was on its fifth season. These people had known each other and I'm just like the new high school kid. Like, hi, I'm a, (laughs) I got got ideas. What, why don't we do this? Uh And it took me a long time to learn the job of being in a writer's room, which is entirely different than the job of being a writer. Hmm. Job of being in a writer's room is listening to people. It's supporting other people's pitches. It's listening to, it's making sure you craft what it is that you want to do to what your showrunner wants to do. Uh, And it's learning how to sell your ideas um, and it's building allies. And very little of that has to do with the act of writing. Hmm. Well, how big was the room? There are 14 writers. 14, wow. 14 writers, network TV show, baby. Wow. Uh, and we wrote every single episode uh, as a team. So every, not not as batch writes, but like mm-hmm. in pairs. So you would be assigned to work with somebody and then you guys would write together. And it was a, you know, it was a hard first several months. I mm-hmm. didn't, some, some of it was unforced error, some of it wasn't, but I had some really great allies on that show. Um, and I ended up turning them all into allies because I learned how to nice. do my job. Very, so was, very cool. Um, trial by fire. Yes, very bad. Yeah, but you did go uh, second season as well, so obviously it did go well. Of course, yeah, I got asked yep. back. I was the only person lower than producer who got Rast, who wrote three episodes in the last season. I wrote, but both mid, both mid season premieres. I supervised production of five of my episodes. Like wow. I, I did a job. It was, uh, I, 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 I. I it was a hard introductory experience, but it taught me so much. And the mm. show at its core is pretty, I found it pretty straightforward to write. Mm. Like it, and it's not that it's not, the, the storytelling is complex, but just like it's big. It's so, I always used to say, if you're, if you're writing Empire and you're not like giggling to yourself, you're doing it wrong. Because uh-huh. 
supposed to be big and soapy and fun and like big emotions and tears and laughs and dances and all of those sorts of things. And that really spoke to my skill set as a person who like is capable of doing comedy, but also can do things that are more grounded and, mm. uh, you know, more is empire grounded. Yes. More and more grounded. We'll call mm. it that. Very, very cool. And so it, at what point did you start developing diversity higher? <coughs> well, <coughs> I was like, choke on my water. We're going to do that again. Okay. Uh, I started developing diversity hire when I, in 2017. So mm -hmm. the premise behind diversity hire is that I was sitting in my living room and I was like trying to think of a workplace comedy. Cause I knew that like a workplace comedy that my agents had told me that like workplace comedies are going to sell this year. And so this is in 2017, like right after I'd sold white people problems to cable. And I was thinking like, okay, well, what can I do in addition to that? And I, the idea I had was, so a black girl who's an engineer, one of my best friends, Zenzi is an engineer. And I was like, well, what if she worked in tech? And what if one day her boss accidentally donated to the clan? And their response to that was to make her the head of diversity and inclusion. And the reason why I love that is because I'd had so many horrible experiences with diversity programs, mm -hmm. um, with all of the fellowships and trying to go to the parties and network and so on and so forth that it occurred to me that there are some people who like run those programs because they really, really, really want to do a good. And then there are some people who run those programs because they really, really, really want to separate all the people of color off into like a different thing and make oh, wow. them not pay and, you know, and sort of be gatekeepers, mm -hmm. which I don't really care that much about. So uh, I came up with that idea. I pitched it to, initially I pitched it to, um, I was doing it with One Race Productions, which is Vin Diesel's company, and Deborah Martin Chase, whose way had worked together as well, and Deborah mm -hmm. had worked with me. And we set it up at Universal, and it didn't sell. And mm -hmm. then in my, uh, and then I, and it didn't sell to a network. I was very upset, but I said to myself, okay, well, let me just write it and I'll see what happens. And so then one of the other writers on Empire, my first year, we became friendly and she was like, you know, what else do you, are you taking anything out development wise? I told her, I was like, oh, I got this old idea. And she was like, yes, yes, that. And so <laughs> I reworked it um, and we sold it to ABC, NBC and uh, Fox. And we ended up going with Fox. Wow, wow. Um, and you, mm -hmm. Go ahead, you were very I, first? Yes, I'm sorry. You you're breaking up there. My very first bidding war. Wow, wow. So, and you got a put pilot commitment. Um, just for viewers who may not know about that, what what is that? A put pilot is basically a, a penalty. And so mm -hmm. what that is is that it, it's kind. Of, there are a number of different words for it. Like, so there can be a put pilot. There's a penalty. There's a pilot. There's a pilot production penalty. But what that all really means is that they're going to give the student, the network is going to give the studio extra money if they don't buy it. So if they don't put it on TV or they don't shoot a pilot, that's all that that means. It's just a way of saying, Hey, we really, really want this. And we're going to give you extra money if we did this. Now, unfortunately, diversity hire did not end up moving forward. Uh, so I guess they dealt with that however they do, but mm -hmm. it was a, a very interesting learning experience. <clears throat> very cool. Well, and bidding more means, I mean, I, you, you had talked about early on how you had some self-esteem issues. I think that would change when you have a whole bunch of people wanting your stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think it, I don't think any writer ever gets over the, um, the, 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 the little voice in your head that says like, this isn't good. 
Um, I think that, you know, literally today I was pitching something that, that the people who I wanted to work with ended up assigning onto mm-hmm. and they weren't laughing enough probably because they were on mute. And so I had to put the, um, word document in such a way so that I couldn't see their faces on zoom <laughs> oh, no. and just go slowly through it. And yeah. so, but I think that what I think diver- the, the most powerful thing I could like learned from diversity hire was you got to know like what you're in charge of and what you're not in charge of. Hmm. If you're the person who's like the talent or is like not the talent, but if like if it's your idea, you have far more control than you think you do. So like I didn't know that I actually get to pick the network that we go with or I didn't know, you know, that I'm the one who gets to like set the tone of like where we're going. I was just sort of very excited to be along the road. Mm-hmm. And so and also just that like if you do there is a market for like exciting provocative shit. And the other things that I've sold since then have been fun, exciting, provocative shit. So yeah. Mm, very cool. And uh, when when did you get involved with Fake Empire? Uh, that was weird. Um, so I thought I was trying to get a job writing on Gossip Girl. Uh, Mm -hmm. the showrunner, Josh Safran, DM'd me and was like, hey, do you want to write on this? And I had these two great interviews. I had almost worked with the with his co-showrunner before, or his number two, I'm sorry, April Ryan. Uh, and I didn't get the job. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wait, what the, like, I was very confused. Uh, just because I was not because that doesn't have, everyone will get not get a job, but just because it didn't go as well, the way that I wanted it to. And what the production company called me like in the middle of that process. And they were like, maybe not gossip girl, but we have another thing that might work for you. And so that might work, but you might work well with. And so the first meetings, they couldn't really tell me what it was. They were just like, tell me your personal story. Uh, <laughs> Tell us about, so you, they were looking for a black gay man who came from like a certain sort of type of privileged background Mm -hmm. and had like a clear point of view on this, on the, on these type of, on this, on this family and on these characters. Uh, and then they told me, okay, so what we're doing is we're doing Tom Swift. We're doing it as a spinoff of the existing Nancy Drew series. This is what we've got. And they Mm -hmm. had already built let's call it two thirds of it. Like they had, there's a big sci-fi story that I can't tell you about, but that is super fun. Uh, that's involved. That's a part of it. And there's a lot of sort of really, and there's, and there's a lot of like mythology and stuff that they had already built into it. But what was missing were the, I mean, what was missing, what I felt like I could add to it. Cause I always, cause Noga and Melinda, my co-creators are the people I'm co-creating the show with are just such wonderful people that it's mm. not, anything that was like missing. It was just, how do we make this into, how do we make these into actual black people? How do we make these into actual gay people? And how do we take the story that you want to tell, which can be a little bit, which which is like, you know, guy with daddy issues is trying to overcome them. You know, he's got his best friend. He's got his sidekick. We've got fun love triangles. How can we take that and really push it into some new and crazy shit? And that's what we did. And so I started, we started working together. We put together a pitch. I put together sort of what my take on the characters would be. I'd pitch that to CBS and that to the oh, studio. Wow. And then they said, never seen more people on a Zoom in my life, by the way. Like there was like 20 people. <laughs> wow. And then uh, I got that. Then so then they then the studio was in. Then we put our we finished our pitch documents together. Pitched that to CW. I think August, mm-hmm. and we've been going ever since. And wow. so uh, yeah. Wow, very very cool. And uh, and so are you? Uh, what what's the schedule like with COVID and all that? Well, it's not on. We're just writing a pilot right now. Yeah. So, oh, okay, like, okay. We don't have a room, so it's mm. not like this isn't a staff job. Like we are. I am 
co-creating the show with them and we mm-hmm. are writing the so right now we're just turned in our outline and we're gonna write our pilot soon and we're, we're really liking it it's coming together nicely so yeah very cool well uh, definitely with a spin-off um you've and and, and i was reading a little bit, a bit about it it's it's one of those where um there's going to be a little bit of a crossover that that launches it in nancy drew yeah, so Nancy Drew is primarily like a supernatural horror like mystery show. Um mm-hmm. she's uh Nancy is like a 1920-year-old detective. Like she's not exactly a detective, but she is like a gumshoe and she mm-hmm. also does magic and like solves things with spells and it's very cool. Uh really fun like bingeable teen soap type vibe. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode where Tom Swift like appears in her world. They solve a case together, and then he's like, "Anyway, if you like more, if you'd like to see more of me, check me out on the other TV show." And that's <laughs> the actual pilot. Wow. Well, hopefully, I mean that that kind of thing has helped launch many a show. Yes, we love a backdoor pilot. Yeah, very very cool. Um, and so you you've had a lot of these development projects. Uh, sounds like you've got other ones in the I fire. Um, talk about how you. How you develop all the projects, but also how you manage it all. Well, I am a crazy person, so I'm never not trying to develop something where it's like, okay, well, what can we do? I have, um, but there's two, well, as we've, there's one more that I actually can't talk about, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really funny. It's about my dating life. And so I'm always kind of trying to develop something, uh, but the management of it has mostly to do with understanding what your benchmarks are. Mm-hmm. So what actually needs to be completed. And so I try to start every day with like a bullet pointed list of like what are the tasks that I need to accomplish each day. Hmm. And then if you can stack your, this is the thing I learned from one of my friends who's a feature writer, basically you need to plan your year and stack your work. So what that means is if you're just gonna try to develop for a period of time, then everything needs to be in a different phase. You don't wanna be writing like three drafts at one time because your brain will get a little muddy. But you can write an outline and a draft and a pitch at one th- at one time. Like that all seems fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's that. And then also, I mean, so that's basically the time management of it all. And then the brain management of it all is I don't do more than four things. What I learned last year is that the, well, actually that's a lie, but what I learned last year, in one, four things in one space, uh, mm-hmm. because what I learned last year is I was trying to do diversity hire, my job at Empire, another pilot, um, what I'm doing with Warner Brothers, and then another, and then, my, and then white people problems. And anytime something new would come in, I would say yes to it. And so they'd be like, oh, do you want to pitch on this thing at such and such, or do you want to do that? And I realized I was like, I'm not doing my best work. Right. on those other things so figure out what your limit is i have my friend um amy is like she's she's got a little bit more brain capacity than i do uh and she can do a little bit more than i can but and then there are people who are like i don't understand how you do more than two at a time but it's just for knowing what your capacity is and then having clear benchmarks for what needs to be completed so you don't just get overwhelmed well that's that's very very helpful um i know especially when when people are starting out there can be um, this this idea that you have to say yes to everything, mm-hmm. and it, that can really bite you. It can. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's just transition to a little section about advice to greener writers. Um, okay. Uh, I'm sure you you've been in the industry long enough that you see people coming in, um, and you've uh, I'm sure read other people's work. What mistakes do you see people making in interviews on the page in the room? Um, in terms of when when people are just sort of 
entering into the industry? Okay. Um, uh, let's see. I think let, let's go through, let's start interviews page room. So we'll start mm. with page. Cause I think that's the thing we all have in common, right? Like if, mm. if you, if you feel like you're a writer, you've, you've, you've started, you've written something hopefully. So the first thing I would say is like not finishing your work. Um, and what I mean by that is people will start something and then be like, and then write like a third of it and then be like, never mind. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to switch to this. Oh, I'll go back and I'll start over on the beginning and I'll change this at the top and then I'll pivot that and blah, blah, blah. Finish the damn script. Finish mm. the vomit draft. Put your fingers in your throat, puke it up on the page, and then once that's done, go through and edit and remove and see what you have left. Because if you don't do that, you're never going to finish your project. You're never going to finish your sample, and you're just going to be working on the same shit for years. Mm. Finish the script. Just write it. Even if it's not good, even if you hate it, a lot of that is in your head. So just remember that and finish the damn script. Um, uh, the next thing I would say that I see people not do that I see a lot of people not doing is not understanding structure. And mm -hmm. so what I mean by that is TV especially, uh, has a certain structure. Half hour is usually, I mean, the act breaks depend on like what you're on, but it's usually three acts on half hour to and on half hour comedy, five to six acts, uh, or even you can think of it as four acts on, um, network on, on, to, on in drama. Hmm. And there is a very specific way that those are supposed to be, that, that, that those things are supposed to be done. Each act out should be a big, like gaspy moment that makes you want to come back. There should be a, there should be a complication and the story should build over time and your character should have an arc. Those are sort of basic writing 101 things, but not everybody does that. Hmm. So when you look at your pilot, ask yourself, what is my A story? What is the beginning, middle, and end of that story? What is the thing that a person wants in that story? What is the person not getting? And then how do they solve that problem? Like, what's that conclusion? No matter what you're writing, even if you're writing the most like experimental HBO, whatever streaming series, it needs to have those things. Otherwise, it's not going to work as a sample because mm -hmm. the thing, first thing you write is probably going to be something you hand to someone to see if they will hire you. Mm -hmm. And if they read it and they don't see that you understand how to do the basics of your job, then they're not going to hire you. So those are the on the page mistakes. Also, mm -hmm. just like like formatting and stuff like that. Don't direct your movie like or, or your TV show. Like just know what format should look like and you should be fine. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that. Those are those things. Now. Uh, in addition to that, I would argue in the room, I think the biggest mistake people make is I is twofold. Um, one shutting people down, uh, mm. and only pitching bumps. So if you only pitch bumps, you are, even if you don't get fired, no one's going to like you. And if nobody likes you, no one's going to help you. Mm. So, and you're going to need help at some point, whether it is in breaking with breaking a story or getting the story that you want told, you may need allies, people to co-sign. So that is incredibly important. Um, don't be the person who only pitches bumps, be a person who pitches solutions. So if mm. you don't an idea the thing I used to have to do is I would literally sit on my hands <laughs> over my mouth until I had what the solution was in wow. my head and then you pitch the solution but mm. if you don't have it don't say shit um unless you're that changes as you get into the upper levels but as a lower level writer you really want to make sure that you are being as productive as possible and you're pitching solutions mm. EP, eps co-eps supervising producers they can be like oh, i don't like it but not a, not 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 when you're not when you're on the lower levels not when you're first breaking in um uh, the other thing is people who are scared to pitch 
in the in the room. Sometimes you're going to nail it. Sometimes you're not. Uh, but you have to talk so that you can get in the habit of pitching well, so that people will understand what you're doing. Mm. Um, uh, that will will be able to understand what you're doing, and that you can try to get those things on the and you can try to get stuff on the board because that's the only way to sort of see if your ideas are working. And it's a way to draw attention to yourself with your showrunner to try and get episodes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would also argue is um, I see a lot of people. A lot of people come to me and they're like, "Okay, so I wrote. Um, I wanted. To, I'm gonna. I want to do this show." And it's like, "Okay, cool. So what'd you do? Well, I wrote a pitch doc. Don't do that. Like, <laughs> and what I mean by that is like, I wrote a pitch doc and I wrote, and it's like, a, it's got. I broke every episode and I've got like the entire series broken out. And I was like, don't. That's a waste of time. Like mm-hmm. if you split, there's going to be notes and those are, and the, and the things you end up thinking about when you're like, I'm breaking the whole series are so far down the line and separate from I'm breaking a pilot, which is a sales document to get me ordered to series that you, the, that's not a, that's not a good use of your time. Right. Write, write a pilot. Um, we said interviews, room and page. Yes. Uh, in, right. in, so in inter- interviews, when somebody's interviewing, know what your story is. Um, it kind of depends on where you are, uh, and in your career, but like, if you're starting out a lot of like why you're going to get hired is because the showrunner likes you and you're showing that you're affable and easy to get along with. But in addition, it's having like a clear, coherent narrative of like why you're a writer and draw and, and some story and some gems to drop along the way. So that I, my little story is of like when people, cause when they say, so where are you from? Or like, how, where did you grow up? Or what made you want to be a writer? What they really want is the story of how you got from wherever it is that you're from to that room in like two to three minutes. So I have varying versions of a narrative that talks about my first screenwriting class and then getting cut off by my parents and then becoming an SAT tutor and then learning to write about things that I cared about. And then that's how I got here. Mm. So it's a, you want to know what your story is. You want to know what your narrative is, um, to always be prepared. Um, I will, if I tell it, my tell on myself a few weeks ago, I had a staffing meeting. I read the pilot and I forgot every single character's name. Oh my. I knew I could quote the dialogue back to the showrunner. Mm-hmm. I knew the, I knew the show. I, and it was so embarrassing because I was like, Oh God, I know that. I know this show. Like I, I read the script. I, I have ideas, but I have nothing else to. But but I can't remember who these ideas are for. Like so, the oh, wow. son, who's an executive, like him. Like I want him. Like let's talk about. It. Like he's the one I think we should do this with. And they're like, and so it just doesn't make you look good. So always over prepare a little bit. Yeah, read a few too many times. Be be a little too ready. Uh, and in interviewing, is there anything else? Well, and I think um, you you hit on a bit with the personal story there. Um, I think like it really sounds like you hit your stride when you learn to tell authentic stories to your own voice. Um, yeah. How does somebody develop that? Write about the things that make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a certain vulnerability that comes with, you know. I mean, everybody knows sort of what their story is, and I guess I don't. And I don't mean that you should. Uh, what am I saying? I don't mean that you should like search your body for pain and like be like, this is the thing I'm going to write about. But what I found is we are in an era and we were, when I started writing, we were entering an era in which a lot of people were getting over by telling their own stories. So, uh, I think at that point, Ryan Murphy had a show on the air that was about being a gay TV writer with a husband who was having, and they're doing surrogacy as he was 
a gay TV writer who was married and they were doing surrogacy. And I was like, oh, so this is we just, <laughs> just interior Cameron's house day. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not so much that it's just like it for So for me, that was what I wanted to. The, I, there was stuff that I knew that I had to say. And so I figured I might as well just work on it and say it. And those and that'll get me what I want. Mm. If I think if we're thinking in terms of how do you develop that sort of voice? How do you develop that sort of bravery? I mean, it's not that it's bravery. How do you develop that for yourself? It's what do you care about? Like, what are the mm. stories you care about? What are the stories that make you happy? And how can you make those personal and make those and so that that people are sort of moved by what it is that you have to say i have a thing that's literally about cheerleaders and has nothing to do with me but i have i open it with a personal story of like this is why this is important to me Mm. and so what i would argue that we all need to that with that we should do is if you want to do i think that there's incredible power in procedural storytelling like i think a lot of people a lot of people talk a lot of shit about like oh it's csi or something like that but like no those people really know how to write so what i would argue is if you want to do that then you're not going to get that job necessarily off of a csi spec you're going to get that off of the kooky murder mystery that like came that, that is about like that where you like kill your best friend or something like that you're going to do something that's going to make you stand out so what i would argue is even if you're not you know, I'm a, I got a lot of interesting identities. Like, even if you don't necessarily have that, what's a thing that you can write about that is passionate, that is fascinating for you, that's interesting for you, and that will, interesting for you, and that will make you stand out on the page because there are a lot of, a lot of scripts coming in. So what is the thing that you feel you can talk about that will make people pay attention? Mm. Very cool. Well, I, I can't think of a better place to end up um unless you have any other final thoughts anything else that you uh, would like to say no keep writing do your thing it'll be fun Mm -hmm. finish the script finish the script yeah finish the script definitely well i uh, cameron i really appreciate you taking the time and uh, how can people find you on twitter um etc I am Cameron J. Awesome on all platforms. So follow me on Instagram, get into these jumpsuits, follow me on Twitter, get into these jokes and political takes, uh, and we'll see you there. It'll be fun. Cameron Very J. Cool. Awesome. Well, best of luck to you, and uh, wow, I hope a lot, we see a lot of these projects come to life in the future. Me too. And that was my interview with Cameron Johnson. Hope you had a great time. Lots of great stuff in there. Make sure to subscribe on all of the places you can find this podcast. Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, the tvwriterpodcast.com site, or also at scriptmag.com, and now also on Pandora. And if you're on Instagram, please follow at tvwriterpodcast. Please do follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do it for as little as 25 cents per episode. You can find out how you can become a patron of the podcast or a sponsor of the podcast at tvwriterpodcast.com slash support. See you next time. Bye-bye.